tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. I am Josh Roop. Here with me, my co-captain as always. Scott Larson. And Scott, should we hurry and let's hurry and talk yeah, about flipping out really quick? Yeah, let's talk about the the um, sponsor of the show, uh, Flipping Out Pinball, if you're looking for that new pinball machine and uh, you've been cooped up a little bit inside your game room and you're looking for that new itch, uh, go ahead and contact Zach and Nicole at Flipping Out Pinball. Uh, they are able to, if they get some sock in soon, they'll be able to hook you up with the new machine, but they also know when the manufacturing guidelines are and when they're planned so if you have that guardians of the galaxy that you really want in your game room go ahead and contact them they'll be able to get you on the list or also if you want to get on maybe a future title if you want keith owens next game just go ahead and say hey put me on the list so wait keith's designing i didn't know that okay all right (laughs) so let's i want to talk about this is a pretty epic guest we have on uh i would i would dare say that pinball would not be what it is today without this man uh, not only because of the partnership he made early on with Gary Stern, but because of the licensing and changing the game from what it was in the 80s into the 90s. We have Mr. Joe Kamenkow on. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> and you are like multiple, you're in the Pinball Hall of Fame, you're like in the Slots Awards Hall of Fame. I mean, you've, Gaming. you've you're yeah. very titled, yes. And so I feel very honored to have you on. It's awesome to have you here. Yeah, I wanted you to go, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, so I, I'm curious because you st- when you get in an industry like this, you start as a fan. And then you figure out how to get in and like be be part of the industry. So what, I'm, what started you out? Because you were a young man when you started getting into uh, the gaming industry. Well, younger than most actually would know, I was actually five. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, when I was five years of age, my father became the controller, controller of a company called General Vending in Baltimore, Maryland. And they were the largest game distributor, jukebox vending machine company in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Um, so at that point in time, they were a godly pinball uh, uh, company. And I used to go on Saturdays with my dad to work. He seemed to work on Saturdays as well and um, would hang out in the showroom and play games, see the games. And then eventually, you know, uh, after I got bored doing that and had my crackers and juice box or whatever it was, and um, I'd start folding brochures and putting them in envelopes or learn to go to the back of the house and watch the guys fix the games or do whatever. So... Um, really at a very early form of age, I may even have a picture here. I could probably show you if you give me one moment, one of my favorites. Um, I have an interesting photo of me at the uh, Virginia Music Operator Show, probably when I was about six or seven years of age um, and a kid. Um, so I, I sort of dare say I grew up in the business. Um, I became, you know, a second generation person in the industry. And then in 1974, my father moved to Boston and went to work with a company um, called Bally Northeast. It used to be Robert Jones International. Bally had three distributorships. They had Advance in San Francisco, run by Chuck McMurdy. Uh, Joe Robbins ran Empire in Chicago. And dad ran Valley Northeast in, in New England. 
And of course, they were Bally and Midway and early Atari distributors. You know, Dad knew, you know, Nolan and all these guys at the very beginning of all of their careers. And, um, you know, again, moved to Boston and, you know, when I'm 14 or whatever, you know, I go after work, I go on the weekends. It was my summer job working at the distributor. So I, I was always around games. And then when I was in college in the eighties, um, I started operating games. So I had, uh, Curry college, university of Maine and Orono Stonehill college. I owned, uh, video games and pinball machines that I would put in their jukeboxes. Um, um, work as an operator and um, then opened up a chain of arcades called that's entertainment in um, Maryland with a friend that whose father owned a variety of uh, Luskins. If you remember Luskins, um, they owned a variety of appliance stores and we carved like 2,500 square feet out of the appliance stores when the arcade business was, you know, Pac-Man red hot and um, started you know, uh, operating games there. So at some point in time, you know, I was 20 years old. I owned several hundred games that I operated. Um, what was where that led to next is, you know, I met, you know, for instance, you know, in 75 or 76, whenever it was when the who's Tommy came out, Tom Neiman got tickets for me and dad. And we went to New York and saw the opening of, of Tommy. So, you know, you know, it was very intriguing to me. I looked at some of the pinballs. I was like, I was really disappointed when Space Invaders came out that it looked like a Geiger thing. I like Paul Ferris's work, of course, but, you know, it didn't look like what I thought Space Invaders should look like. So um, when I had my arcades, um, I was buying a lot of games and like, you know, Kickman or things like that. And I'm like, man, this is really not something I want to play. And I'm sitting here spending money. I go, I, I probably could do something better than these guys are doing currently. And I had an engineer guy named Tom Doe that used to come into my, enge- my, my arcade from Westinghouse Missile Systems Engineering. And he's like, oh, he loved playing games. We started talking. He goes, I, I could make a better game than this. And it's like, I'd like to make a better game than this. And in 1981, we had a company called um, logical highs that we sold the right of first refusal to our very first video game to uh, Williams. Uh, we had talked to Stern and a bunch of others. This is real coincidentally is a picture of me at the West Virginia Operator Show. Okay, that's uh, that's so great. It, it's about, a great video of a. Uh, it's pr- probably like what uh, late sixties, early seventies. Oh, I would say that was probably sixty-seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we just decided to make a game. We never had never made a game. I really didn't know what I was doing. I talked a good game. I think we got $500,000 advanced from Williams and went off and made a really suck ass bad game. A really bad, sorry, a really bad game. You're fine. Yeah. It's and, um, but we learned a lot and then we turned into a second product. And then Williams, uh, Mike Stroll offered me an opportunity to come work at the company and in, in marketing and, market research, which, you know, my goal was get there and get into game design. And um, one of the games, I my very first pinball was a Defender pinball, mm-hmm. okay. um, which was kind of kind of funny when I think about it. I sold Williams the right to make Defender pinball, even though they own the right to Defender. But I came up with the idea of turning it into a pinball. So if anybody ever sees Defender and you see there's like two pop bumpers on that game, right 
buy it, all the credit they would give me was certain design services by to Williams Electronics Inc. by um, Logical Highs Inc. is on that game. Is and, that around the time they also made Joust too? Because I those were right in the yeah, same era. Same time. Yeah, this was me at Williams. That was the first video game I made. For oh, them. wow. Very cool. Yeah, so kind of fun. I'm sure I have a picture of Defender in here somewhere too. Um, and then, um, and of course, you know, the Williams hit hit the skids. I mean, the, the well, video the video game, game industry crashed in around like 1982. It it imploded. Yeah, more than it was really 83. Um, I went over to Japan. I got the like the rights to 1942, but Williams really didn't want to sell a conversion kit. And didn't think they could sell a, a real game. And uh, Star Rider happened, which is the laser disc game that Bill Foodson Rider and Python worked on, and it was a beyond disaster product. Uh, there's me with uh, Larry Holmes at a Bally uh, <laughs> trade show booth, and that was probably 77, 78. Cool. Yeah. Um, but um, the, the business imploded. I mean, literally, the factory shut down. There was no hope. We, I went over a license 1942, Arabato. We sold a couple hundred conversion kits. Um, Luna Castro basically said, if you don't get like 4,500 orders or some number, I don't remember the exact number, but it was a very large number of games. He's basically said, I'm not reopening Williams ever again. It's done. We had just finished making like Mystic Marathon and um, I don't remember the name of the dumb game. It was a dumb pinball with like mushroom theme. It was awful. And we had like two games in 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 process one was mark ritchie was working on a game called sorcerer okay and we were working on a game that became space shuttle mark springer came in did the first art on the game uh larry was programming it uh eugene uh we got to go he was at get at berkeley getting his uh mba we got him to do a new sound package for us Went back and convinced everybody to put the Harris CVSD back on it to do speech. Mark Springer came in and it was really funny. He was having a hard time drawing the back glass and not having the the tail kind of look like it was laying down. So Larry and I went over to Toys R Us at lunch one day, which was on the other side of the river behind Williams, bought a styrofoam space shuttle and brought it back. And Barry had the drawing on his play field with the ramp that came up into the orbit and said, just here show this to Mark and next thing you know, Barry's cutting a hole out of the the piece of styrofoam and it's sitting on the ramp and it's under the back, under the glass. And that's sort of how that happened. And Mark did eventually get his tail fixed. Um, and we told Mike, you know, if, if the future of the company depends on the game, we weren't scheduled to be next, but Larry and I lobbied hard to um, make space shuttle the next game. And we went to the trade show, had a thousand dollar marketing budget where we bought a bunch of blow up space shuttles. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for that game, Williams wouldn't exist. Williams would have closed. It was over. And, and what year was that? Because I distinctly sure. remember when the Challenger exploded, because that was a very, um, I mean, yeah, that, that was, was summer of 80. That was uh, AMOA of 1984. Yeah. And the game went into production. In 85, we had a, you know, post in the middle and 
flash lamps and it was dynamic and it was exciting. And there was the, the business was done. Um, that literally reopened Williams. Hmm. I've got then, notes here that you sold about 7,000 of those. Does that sound about right? Might've been more, but at least seven. I think hmm. it was, it was a, it was a pretty big number. And the big thing was we got enough games to get the factory open again on that order from the MOA show. Wow. I mean, and then Mike left the company about four months later, but, um, and then I left not too far after Mike, um, went over to game plan and made, um, what was it called? Let's see. Um, Loch Ness monster. And they kind of ran out of money. They made Cyclops instead of Loch Ness monster, mm. which Roger did, didn't go anywhere. And, uh, that's kind of like, you know, Gary and I knew of each other. That's where Gary, Gary was doing Pinstar at the time. And he connected with me and you know, I was the young, hot designer, right? Like the kid that made yeah. something cool and did something interesting and had a different vision of how to get, get it done. And, um, we kind of, you know, struck our, our partnership and, you know, it was me, Gary and Shelly in the basement of his house. Going, we're going to start a pinball company. We went to uh, Konami <coughs> and Data East to see if either would fund us. Both were very interested. Eddie Pellegrini lent us some money, helped us get this thing going. And uh, as I said, the rest is history. You know, we started the company. We made Laser War, cobbled together the first four games with parts. The, the first game we... I, I designed over, um, I started on Thanksgiving day, 1986. It was a Thursday on Monday. Mm -hmm. I had a finished playfield design. And by the end of the week, we had a working whitewood nice. and we had a road King that we bought, took off all the parts, rewired it on a, our whiteboard and stuck it back in their cabinet and turned on the lights and just kind of made it cycle the ball to shoot it and pop some pop bumpers to make sure it worked. And mm. that's, that's how it started. Wasn't, wasn't very fancy, but it worked. Now you were, you were pretty early on seeing, um, seeing the value in, in licensing. And I, I, I'm looking at what you did and the, the things that always jumped out at me of the data East era is that they had identifiable themes already uh, you know, purchased and put into a pinball machine. I mean, you have, you have playboy, you have Robocop. Uh, Back to the Future, uh, Phantom of the Opera, which, um, you know, it, it was probably, um, it was probably leveraged, quite, but not quite. Yeah, right. It was it was leveraging a musical that was well known. Yeah. But uh, and so, you know, you had Turtles, you had Batman, you had Star Trek. So all these titles are well known. Uh, what mm -hmm. led you in that direction? Well, you know, Valley did in, in the early days. Um. Even Laser War, by the way, was supposed to be Laser Tag. We just couldn't get with Worlds of Wonder to get the deal done. So we just kind of did a derivative of what was really red hot at the moment. You know, Bally's heyday when Tom Neiman was there was stuff like Bally Pardon, right? Or Six Million Dollar Man or Tommy or, you know, Pinball Wizard, right? Um, Gary did Ted Nugent and, and, and we had... Uh, Globe Trotters and Nitro Ground Shaker was kind of a Prudhomme type of thing, you know, snake versus mongoose. And there was always value in, you know, that something will end up in your basement and have more intrinsic value. And it was a really good reflection of 
pop culture. I mean, one of the ones I'm really, probably two that were really ones I was super proud of. I mean, we were the second licensor in the world to have The Simpsons. I mean, The mm-hmm. Simpsons, the Tracy Ullman show, we identified this brand and went after it. I mean, as Matt, Matt was so shocked that we were so early, you know, you know, we ended up, I ended up spending a lot of time with Matt granting the, the creator of Simpsons. And, you know, he actually flew to David Letterman's show, talked about the pinball on the David Letterman show and flew to New Orleans the next day for the MOA show, hmm. which we had four of the biggest security guards you've ever seen walk somebody into a trade show. Nobody knew who Matt was, but next thing you know, it's like, wow, who is this guy with all these security guards? And he, he signed autographs for, I think, the next eight hours and drew, you know, pictures of Bart. Um, that so was it. Had it broken by then? Because I uh, it, exactly what well, you it, said it just happened, yeah, in a big way. But we were a year ahead of it in the license, yeah. Because it, it, for those of you who don't know, the or, origin of The Simpsons was it was on a variety show, it was a one, one woman variety show, The Tracy Ullman Show, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, Matt was doing Life as Hell before that, or mm-hmm. you know, South Park, you know, before we had YouTube and viral videos. All my friends in Hollywood are sending me these videotapes of this thing called the Spirit of Christmas. Right? I got like 30 videotapes like in a week of the Spirit <laughs> of Christmas. I'm like, what the hell is South Park? And went and got that brand very early. Um, Jurassic Park was a you know product, but we had a relationship through Back to the Future and through uh Amblin and through doing Hook that allowed us to, you know get Jurassic Park and not have other competitors get it. But I mean, some of the things we did were amazingly serendipitous. So for instance, um, we did back to the future. We only had six weeks to do the game from the time we licensed it till the time it came out. Okay. Six weeks, six weeks. I mean, the play field wow. we did in two days and programmed it in a month. And, um, you know, we had a game that, you know, someone had created, um, which wasn't very good and we scrapped it and we had to fill the line, keep the line running. And uh, then at the last minute, Michael J. Fox decided not to be on the game. And, uh, you know, we still pulled off a great game. But, you know, I looked at that relationship. I built a great friendship. As a matter of fact, this past weekend, I was in London with Bob Gale, who wrote Back to the Future. And the new Back to the Future musical just opened there. And I'm an investor in it. And Oh, good for you. Bob and Bob all these years later. But Back to the Future, you know, I ended up becoming great friends with Bob Gale. I was at his 40th birthday party. He and Zemeckis came up and said, hey, why don't you go back and do Tales from the Crypt? Because, you know, Walter Hill, Bob Zemeckis, Dick Dick, uh, Donner, and um, Joel Silver owned that brand. So I went over to see Dick Donner. at um, He was filming Lethal Weapon 3. And next thing you know, I'm with Mel Gibson in his trailer, and he's doing three Stooges impersonations for me. And I'm thinking, I think I'm the only person that Mel ever gave his likeness rights to between that lethal weapon and Maverick. So that happened because of Back to the Future that then we got to Joel Silver and did um, Tales from the Crypt. And you, you probably have heard I did a custom one of a kind Joel mm-hmm. Silver pinball that Dick gave to Joel as a Christmas gift that year. And, uh, and then that led to Aaron Spelling, right? So, I mean... Yep. It's yeah, it's been a very serendipitous ride, and you know, we, you know, fortunately, we've been able to network and, you know, you know, build wonderful friendships that have been enduring for, you know, decades. And you know, you know, obviously, these same brands and these same friendships became very valuable at IGT, 
as we changed the slot machine business and uh, the social game business at, at Zynga. With, you know, we have games that are played by literally have a billion downloads that we've created that, you know, I'll wake up and 1.8 million people are concurrently playing one of my games. 1.8 million That's at crazy. every moment. Um, so, um, you know, it's kind of been, it, but back to the licensed product, you know, we, and I think Gary even strayed for a while um, and made some non-licensed product, you know, early in the post Sega days and realized the great value of a good brand ends up in somebody's basement. Or if you remember how our, our business used to operate, an operator buys a game, operates it for a year or two years, whatever it is. Hard codes, they last a lot longer. They don't wear out. And then they sell the game at the value of what they paid for it or more. The profit that the game made during that period of time is really their net value in what the game produced. And, you know, obviously something less gen- that's not as generic gets a higher dollar back into the house. Right. Because, you know, somebody's more excited about putting lethal. I mean, I, I look at, you know, we made you know, almost 11,000 lethal weapons. I never see a lethal weapon hardly ever for sale. I mean, that game was 20 years old. I never see a South Park for sale. I never see my original Simpsons for sale. I never see a Rocky and Bullwinkle for sale. I mean, these games had, they, 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 they're just like a sponge. They got sucked up and they're just gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, they just, they had great, great value. Even when I see something like the original Guns N' Roses we did, you know, sells for more than the one that's being sold by Jackpot Park, by Jack, Jersey Jack today. You know, it had better value. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about the uh, the license space. Oh, it's awesome. Um, my other question, too, I don't know if you know a bunch about this, but how did you guys get, because you had the very first dot matrix display pinball yes, machine. Yeah. Um, what brought that about, and, and how did you guys decide to implement that? Well, we decided to implement it poorly. Um, <laughs> you know, we had the bigger one originally. And the game was actually supposed to have been out on um, The Simpsons. We actually had it up and running and working on The Simpsons. And Gene Lipkin at the time basically said to me and Gary, your feet are in cement if you basically mess this up. The company's going to go out of business and we're going to fire you. So delay it again. It probably would have been out, you know, eight months before. And at the time, we looked at the bigger display, the one that Williams ended up going to. And just in our bomb cost and going from displays to other things. It was more in line with what our expense was um, for the existing, you know, um, 16 segment alphanumerics. Um, hindsight being 2020, we ended up going to the bigger one again, and then even eventually even a bigger with a better dot pitch when we got to, you know, games like um, Baywatch. But, you know, we always looked at, if you're if you're a student of the industry and you think about what things made the business go through growth spurts it was going from numeric displays from six segments to seven uh going to alphanumeric all of a sudden having score inflation where you could not just put up text but put up the word a million or make a million for a shot so all of a sudden you know the the flexibility of of being able to um, have more digits 
the dot matrix kind of gave you or or six players you know we had versions that allowed two players to play against each other or six players at a time or the bigger player to have a bigger font that was up but it always drove new new it wasn't a wider cabinet or a wider playfield that drove new sales it was obsolescence right so when you went from score reels to numerics from numerics to alphanumerics from um, alphanumerics to dot and now from dot to full tft color displays right you look at you know the new stuff gary makes today and you put it next to a dot matrix game it looks like a dinosaur right mm-hmm. it's old and feeble and you know at some point gary will come up with another version will be bigger wider whatever that will make the generation before it less attractive you know a blinking light is a blinking light. I don't care if it's an incandescent light or if it's a tricolor LED. Now, certainly the tricolor LEDs give you the opportunity to put a clear insert on and make it red sometimes or make it blue or make the light shows more interesting. But more than anything, the dot matrix is what had or, or display changes throughout the history, right? Score, you know, we started with a back glass that had light bulbs. Mm-hmm. Right, 100 plus 200 plus 50. Oh, I got, you know, that's my score, right? Um, to score drums, to eventually alphanumerics, to alphanumerics, the dot matrix, to bigger dot matrix, to tricolor lead dot matrix, to color display. So it's sort of a natural thing. And that's what we were thinking at the time. Yeah. What, what transitioned you? Because um, after uh, when pinball was dis- declining, I guess, in the 90s, you you went in a different direction. So what uh, what opened your eyes to those opportunities? Because you've been wildly successful at them. Well, a couple of things. Um, first off, you know, the early 90s were unbelievable how many games we made during that period of time. I mean, we were doing, you know, we went from Jurassic Park to Star Wars to Lethal Weapon, you know, that in, in some order. I think we, we put out 30,000 games in nine months and crazy. You know, we were, you know, we were filling up the casinos and, you know, we got to the point where we weren't innovating and we were getting squeezed on build materials and metals and everything else. Um, and I we used to go to the trade shows in Vegas and I would look at these slot machines and I go, Oh my God, they're feeble, right? Mm-hmm. The lighting, the sound. And, and one of our good customers, um, Hans Kloss at, at Bally Wolf, Became president of Bally when Alan Mace had some issue, I think, if I recall. He got busted for trying to bribe somebody in New Orleans or something. <laughs> Next thing you know, he came in and was running it. And I went out and visited with him. I was like, well, why don't we put sounds in a slot machine? Why don't we put a display? So we actually made, mocked up a uh, firework display. Brian Schmidt did some sounds, and they actually adopted it onto a Bally game. Years before Williams ever came out with the dot matrix and their slots, you know, 15, you know, seven years later, they, Valley actually had it. They just, they had a guy who just had no creative vision, who was their head of engineering. And, um, you know, as the business started to decline and shrink and, you know, Sega had purchased us at that point in time. And, you know, I met with Mr. Nakayama about, you know, he asked me if I'd consider helping in the gaming side of Sega at the time. Um, I had been approached by um, Bally at that time. It was run by like Joel Kirschbaum and Coots the Caesar and a few others in um, like 98. And Williams was starting to make inroads 
as they were pivoting their business into slots and they were doing like the Adam, not Adam Sandler's Monopoly and they had some sounds and some better graphics and IGT really was not equipped to make that change. And I met with them in like 98 as well and it didn't really go anywhere. And about a year later, Williams was starting to make more inroads and they, they reached back out to me again and flew back out to Reno and, you know, it, it was a pretty big jump to go back at, you know, 40 years of age and totally change your career. But, you know, there was a skill set that both, you know, I had because I looked at a lot of the things where they were. I mean, at that point in time, Sega was already at a million polygons a second, right, with Virtual Fighter. And I'm looking at this company going, oh, my gosh, there are 32 palettes and 256 colors. Well, that was 1981 Williams Video Game Hardware. I mean, literally, they were 20 years behind the time. I mean, they were still breaking down palettes <laughs> to try and make colors work when the rest of the world's, you know, you know, doing VGA color graphics. So um, I joined them. Um, I, I didn't think the business was big enough to financially support both Gary and I. Though when I left Gary, I still helped him get Harley-Davidson, helped him get Austin Powers, as a matter of fact, the artwork for Austin Powers was done by Romy Vasquez, who was an artist at IGT. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. I didn't. Uh, you know, Gary was kind of in trouble, was having trouble getting art turned. And, you know, we have had an artful partnership and collaboration for the 20 years since I left the company. You know, I love Gary and I love what we built and, would do nothing but help him in any way I always could. And, um, but I, the business wasn't big enough to support both of us at that time. And I give Gary great credit. I mean, he went through some really tough times with that company. The business really cratered a few times. Uh, Dave Peterson came in as a wonderful partner for Gary. He's a great guy, um, brought a, dis a discipline that Gary didn't have in certain aspects of the business had a different vision of the collectible hobby component of the company and uh, became a great partner for him. And, um, you know, for me, um, I was very fortunate that I was able to use, you know, my skill set, uh, my ability to, you know, walk into a very big company that was very slow. I mean, they had a, uh, a system that if I wanted to put a sound in a game, we, I'd have to do an engineering request the people would have to assess the work and fill out a report of what the work would be. Now, it may take them an hour to do the report for a task that would take them five minutes. They could have done the task. Yeah. But, you know, 12 times over. Uh, <laughs> so we, we had to change some things there. I remember being, uh, being there once and saying to an engineer, you know, I need a, you know, I want a sound when you land on the first symbol. And this is a second symbol that's also in that pay table, a second sound. And if you, if you miss then, a, you know, a losing sound or a winning sound, or if you don't get the symbol, you don't on the first one, you don't make a sound. And if you get it on the second and third, but you can't possibly win it, you don't play the sound. And, you know, someone looked at me and said, well, that'll take us like about six months or six weeks to do. And I said, well, you know, the, you know from a code standpoint, logic standpoint, it should take you about six hours, maybe. And, uh, and if you can't get it done, I'll find somebody that can get it done. And for some miraculous reason, it was done in about four hours, Oh, six months. <laughs> and that's when 
everything changed at IGT and got much better because there became, you know, you know, fortunately I've been around enough hardware, software, hardware development, mechanical engineering development that these disciplines and being a hands-on manager allowed me to cut through the crap and say, let's just get it done. And if you can't figure it out, let me help you figure it out. And, you know, it became, a, you know, IGT became a, a phenomenal financial success um, in the, 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 the first several years I was there. I think, you know, our stock went from $14 a share to maybe 200 a share hmm, on the nice. stock exchange. So, so you stepped away from pinball for a little bit, but what made you decide to come back and start doing Batman 66 and the Beatles? Well, you know, um, I had, uh, you know, done slots for, you know, 13, 14 years, took a hiatus. Um, when we had a, a third management change at the company and started, uh, uh, with Larry DeMar and some other people, a company called Spook Equal. And, uh, we, we sold a very, uh, our first game was a disaster and, do as well as we thought. Brian Eddy worked on that game. It was a, a big part of it. and uh, But a lot of learnings were, were had. And then we pivoted into social slots, which, you know, slots is something I knew a lot about at the time. And then, um, you know, I, I have a Batmobile. Some people know, know that or don't. And became good friends with George Barris. I mean, really good friends with Adam West. And was able to secure the Batman 66 title. Um, and get Adam to agree to, you know, participate in it. And uh, we ended up deciding the best method was to go back and modify the original game George did. There were some things like that he and I thought we could do better together, change the ramps, change a lot of the rules. Lyman did all new rules. And, you know, you know, it was really one of the last projects Adam ever worked on. And the Beatles I pursued for a decade. I mean, literally a decade before I got it. Um, maybe the only, you know, million dollar plus license in the history of our business. Um, I was able to secure the brand. Um, finally made a vision that they liked. They really liked the retro concept. And, you know, I really love the game. I mean, I don't know if you've played it or not. It's a bit of a throwback. It's not overly complex. Um, it's for, you know, everybody kept saying to Gary, uh, we were going to do an originally an original play field and an original, um, you know, ramps and everything else. And we're like, you know, but this is sixties. Nobody ever made a Beatles game in the sixties. And we looked at, you know, everybody kept going, you know, give us a, a classic meteor or a classic sea, witch or a classic, whatever. And we went back and we said, you know what? Sea, Witch was a great playing game, but in, there were some problems where the ball got stuck behind metal parts and the orbit was a little clunky and we needed a magnet to stop the ball on top and we'll add more drop targets. So we used that as, a starting point, basically George redid the play field. I mean, there it's like saying, you know, here's the Volkswagen beetle and then here's the new beetle. Yeah. They're both beetles, but they're different cars. Yeah. And, uh, we went back and redid the game and we are very happy with the result. The, the car, the game is sold out. We have orders, you know, waiting for the, the balance, the very final part of the run. Um, getting the music was so hard and having it approved by Proy. Paul, Ringo, Olivia, and Yoko is no easy task, let me tell you. And Franchi did an extraordinary job. Both George with the playfield and 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 Franchi with the uh, the art. I mean, he so nailed it perfectly. Um, 
And then, you know, there's another project Gary's got that I help bring to him that he's currently in, in, in design with. And then, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get Harry Potter for the future at some point. Yeah. We'll secure that brand. Cause I just finished doing a Harry Potter game for Zynga that I've been working on with, uh, Mark Trammell and a few others for the past four years. So okay. So really good experience there, there. there's two questions I have one. Um, so you were saying that Beatles is sold out, sold out, or, or at least the orders are in. Okay. So if yeah, you I mean, want, I think we have, we have, I think maybe a final 200 to make. Okay. Maybe, okay. but and they're all, they, and they're all you, spoken you, for. I think that I think, I, I think there's probably a little bit left in the final 200 because we haven't announced 200, but we, we have orders backed up in the product. Gotcha. The, the Beatles store keeps taking orders that we keep promising we'll deliver. You know, Gary's having like anybody else, um, container and raw material part problems. You know, if you notice everything right. oh. from foam to whatever is unavailable. I have three games pending, but uh, I thought Beatles was sold out. So I may reach out and see if I can possibly secure one of those. It, it is sold out. I, I think we're going back and making a final run October, November. Uh, I think a good portion of them are spoken for at this point in time, but you know, it's a great game and you know, people like John Taffer from you know bar rescue and a bunch of other good friends have gotten them and they're just, they adore the game. I, I love the game. It, it's a great no, game. I, I love the game and I actually bought the topper about a year ago with the anticipation of being able but there to are buy no the more. Yeah, there yeah, are yeah. no more. Your so that's topper. why I bought the topper yep. uh, because I was planning on buying it. So I, I'm going to have to reach out and see if I can uh, yeah. scoop up one of those last ones. Yeah, the last available one that I know that was available in the States, I think John Taffer purchased from Bar Rescue. Mm. John's a good friend of mine and I helped him find the game, but there, there, are, there are none to be found. So I've noticed uh, since you've done two games with Stern, you've kind of kept uh, Gomez as your designer and, and Franchi as your artwork. Um, do you, hopefully on yeah, your next project. I get Munsters. I don't know if you know that or not. He, he did Munsters, yes. I brought I brought the license to Gary. For that. Oh, okay. Awesome. Um, do you think you'll kind of keep the band together for your next Kapow title or your next project? Or um, The next one I'm doing, I think there's a different artist on it. Um, I think Kevin's working on it, but um you know I, i'm sure chris and i will do a project or two again in the future okay cool yeah i like i like you know i think chris is just you know he's a little bit of a wild man and you know i kind of like you know and he worked for me at zynga for about a year and a half too i don't know if you know that yes. um that's worked for me on the willy wonka game we did but he's he's really a great talent so you know it's like anything you know it's we try and find the right person that whose skills and passion on the brand is just right and you know chris was certainly just right but for both beatles and monsters and and uh and batman i i did like that you casually dropped in the little tidbit of at some point you'd like to get harry potter that was like uh, that th th that was like flying by really quickly but i think everybody's antennas went up because i know that's been on the top 10 most requested and it's usually been well, everybody's one. gonna get it it's gonna be me well, you've already done a, a Harry Potter uh, slot machine, correct? No, Harry Potter Match Three was Zingo. Okay, so yeah. you've already dealt with that that license and, and the oh, people yeah. that are involved. No, with no, it. We, we have a we have a great relationship with Warner Brothers. Yeah, because there's always been that. Uh, this is the long-standing rumor, and I I don't know if there's any validity, but this is what they've said: is that J.K. Rollins doesn't like pinball because she thinks it's gambling. 
No, I I think what happened early on in the in the license, you know, either somebody said something or somebody did something or, you know, she wasn't ready. I mean, there's there's a Harry Potter license for practically everything under the sun. Right. I would suspect um, in the future there'll be some softening around pinball for whatever the reason. Yeah. I, I think you would sell 15,000 of those. Well, and, you know, sure, I, I'd like, you know, Keith to make the game or some of the other good designers to do that. So hopefully I'll be able to, you know, work with Gary and collaborate on that. If, like I said, if anybody's going to get the brand, I'm, I'm sure it'll be me. Awesome. I'll almost bet on it. <laughs> so one of the other things we we're kind of talking about with you beforehand that we would really like to talk with you now is, with your expertise of starting a pinball company with Gary back in the eighties and all yeah. that capital and everything like that. Um, how do you want to warn this Scott? I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, okay. I, I have, I have pounded on deep root for over a year, uh, for the complete lack of professionalism, but I'm just going to say from someone who I have never manufactured a pinball machine. I have never produced anything. I don't uh, know how the pinball industry works, but you do. And so, yeah, I'll give you my take on it. First off, I, I really take my hat off to Spooky Pinball. I take my hat off to American Pinball. I take my hat off to Andrew Highway. I take my hat off to uh, Jersey Jack. It is a very difficult thing to start a pinball company, even with all the hobbyist things, the hobbyist hardware and other things. Because it takes a lot of different disciplines, whether it be the discipline of creating a, a play field, programming, rules, lights, having inserts, figuring out how to put hard coat on or paint something or whatever. There's a whole second discipline of just creating a bill of material that drives an MRP system that drives, you know, the, the manufacturing side of getting all those different parts in because you're missing one part. It doesn't even you can't even put it together. Um, the discipline of material management, procurement, quality inspection of the parts that come in because it's so easy to overbend a bracket or have brittle metal or not plate something properly or not to burr uh, a side rail or whatever it is. It's really complex. There's a lot of wire. There's a lot of ESD testing. There's a lot of FCC testing and everything else you've got to do. And when I heard uh, Bob Mueller um, talking smack about Gary, you know, he was going to show us all. And I sat back and I go, well, let's see who is he surrounded himself with. You know, a lot of guys that have been around the pinball business, but really haven't had great success. And, you know, Barry hasn't made a game in 20 years. John Norris hasn't made a game in 20 years. I love Dennis and he's made some, successful games and some not so successful games like wheel of fortune i mean i was mean, like i said to gary years ago you know, i was running itt and going how do you make wheel of fortune and not put a wheel on it <laughs> right yeah, yeah it's duh um and, and this guy is talking smack about gary and gary doesn't know what he's doing I'm like who is this ass clown is all i could think <laughs> and you know i went back and i did some research and i've even had a few people call and talked to him about making an investment in the company. I was, I was curious. And I told several people, and this is very, very early on, this guy's going to end up scamming people. If you remember, there was a thing called, remember All Me? 
Do you guys remember Omi? I don't. So like in 1987 or 88, pre-Michael Gottlieb trying to start a pinball company with his dad again, some lady that used to work for Alvin Gottlieb, you, you can ask Rob Burke about it, some lady and who was like a secretary, which is like a church lady. It was really weird. Um, and some other guy, they showed up at, a, at the pinball expo. They were starting a pinball company called All Me and Claude Fernandez quit you know, Stern to go work at All Me as their head designer. Now, just the word All Me, it's all about me. Yeah. All like A L L M E. L L M E. All me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and the guy, whatever money he got invested, several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, stole wow. It, scammed it all. And I'm look, looking at this guy, you know, talking about, you know, look, we know John Pompaduke is a nice person. And good intentions are one thing, one thing, but taking people's money and not ever producing anything for it is another. And um, like I said, good intentions are great, but implementation is another thing. And you go, okay, you know, for whatever reason, there's this, uh, let's let's not forget um, Capcom Pinball, who blew $100 million trying to go in the pinball business. Yeah. This concept of, oh my God, I want Cactus Canyon. You know, Cactus Canyon wasn't any good when Williams made it the first time. And it wasn't collectible then, and it was basically the last gasp of a dying company then. Why somebody thinks just because it's bad, it's collectible, is beyond me. You know, I'm glad you have Kingpin. You maybe have one of them, but it's still fun to play when you try it, right? Right. So um, when I saw this guy talking smack and talking about what he was going to do, and I saw the couple, you know, the, the look, it's one thing to take money and, trying to pay us i'm glad barry got a salary and i hope papa duke got a salary during this period of time this guy when i read the did you guys read the complaint yeah we actually read it over last last week or last episode where he funded two marriages one divorce a place in, in Kauai, and that was where i i lost it because i said that's not someone who's trying to run a business that's someone who's trying to fund his extravagant lifestyle right he ran a pyramid scam and he paid first investors back with second investors money while at that time enriching himself personally. And I hope he goes to jail. I feel badly for people that sold their insurance policies or retirees that, you know, had faith in this guy. But anytime somebody tells you they're going to give you 7% guaranteed money, because I'll tell you, Fidelity High Net Worth will not do that for me. Um, you should run. And this guy was scamming. And maybe he thought, and I guess as most scammers do, that, oh, well, maybe pinball really isn't that hard. And there's a $1,000 or $2,000 margin. And I'll, I'll come up with Raza and I'll sell a thousand and I'll make uh, 20 million on it. And so I want to have, I'll be able to either keep my investors going and keep, you know, paying and eventually maybe somehow I'll even out the books or whatever, but starting a pinball company is really hard. I can go to, you know, Wicco or whoever is the supplier of parts today and buy, I can buy flippers. I can buy bumpers. I can buy most parts for the hobbyist. 
but to go build a thousand games down a production line in Texas where nobody's ever built a gamer or put one of these little metal things on a switch and twisted it just an eighth of an inch so that contact is just right as the ball goes over it. If you've never done that, or if you've never realized you got to put those little metal things on the bottom of the flipper and set your flipper and then knock them into the play field, or if you've never gone through and figured out how to make DuPont Imran actually work as a hard code, yeah, good luck. And uh, I, anybody with a, a fraction of a brain could sniff this out. You know, Gary and I laughed about it for the past two and a half, three years because you know, Gary's got tough, he's a tough old bird. And, you know, the, it probably his, his Robert's hurled insults bothered me more than they probably bothered Gary because I'm protective of Gary. But, uh, you know, you just knew this guy was gonna, there was no possible outcome where it would be good or they would make something competitive. Yeah. Period. I mean, just, I saw that piece of crap they tried to show a year ago. And I just laughed. It, what about food truck? I mean, that is a license that I think will sell thousands. You know, I think all me, one of their games was Wall Street. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, food truck is great. It was a wonderful John Favreau movie, and I, I thought it was delightful. Um, let's just do something that's as inane as we possibly can come up with. Day Trader. That'll be perfect. I, I can't wait to play the game. Um, I heard C-SPAN's really good, too. I heard yeah. that be a great oh, yeah. theme. So, <laughs> look, I, I think... Root um, Canal. Root Canal's the next one. You know, I feel bad for, you know, Barry and Pompadour probably got two years of salary out of it and thought they were going on this magical mystery ride with this guy that was going to, you know, save them. I mean, I, I worked with Barry in 84, and he's a delightful, wonderful person, and I, I wish him nothing but happiness and health in his life. I mean, same thing with Pompadour. You know, he's... John's just, you know, he's an artist. You know, he was a, yeah. John made neon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he made pretty things. He made pretty things, right? He did Circus Voltaire. Larry helped him do uh, uh, the, the the World Cup game, kind of sold in Europe. But, you know, he's not had a lot of great success, but he's a, he's a nice person. Yeah. But Robert Mueller, um, he's going to get what he deserves and, and uh, any, you know, a, a, any of these people that were foolish and parted with their hard-earned money to buy this unproven crap without a factory, well, you know, you kind of get what you deserve sometimes. You know, do your homework. Yeah, it's, it's well, a shame, and it hurts the pimbo echoes. It hurts the yeah. ball business. But oh well, buy a stern, you'll you'll. You know, it was no one's gonna no one's gonna lose money buying a Stern pinball. No one's gonna have a game that's not gonna work. That's not gonna be supported. That's not gonna have parts. That's not gonna have resale value. But you want to go speculate on Atomic Girl, Big Bang, Lost Railroad? Hmm? Well, I guess buy one. I don't care. It's not really yeah. valuable. I think some people were were thinking, and some people reached out to us when we were questioning why you would do it. And some people said, "I know it was a risk." I I said, "I you know I, I invested in it, saying that maybe I would get something." But uh, I do feel bad for the people who aren't going to get their money. I I think it was a risky investment. It was a stupid. It was a stupid investment. When you build them when you when you can like even I think some of these guys that invest in some of these other companies 
are still risky young. Am I going to get my Hot Wheels car or, or whatever else it's going to be? At the, the end of the day, why do you want that game? Because it's probably not going to work. It's going to be unsupported. It's not going to have hardware that's going to be around when, you know, when, when a chip goes bad or something and there's no parts for it, I guess. You know, if you want to own a brick you can put in your backyard, I guess that's okay. Or you want to say you own something really special, but there's nothing special about it. That's the funny thing. I mean, I want a game that's fun and works. You know, it's not, it doesn't work and it's not fun. Um, but, you know, there's that, oh, let's do it without a license. Well, you know, there have been plenty of games made without licenses. Nobody bought Oktoberfest, right? Nobody bought, really, uh, Black Knight. Oh, we want Black Knight again. Maybe you'll do High Speed 5 next. Oh, great, right? Who cares? It's they can, I, Well, they could do Fast and Furious, though. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's my, my point is, yeah, you know, if you're buying a pin, I'd rather buy a car. You know, you, I, I, I look at it like a Fisker and, you know, Fisker. The, oh, the, I love the Fiskers. They, they look so pretty. And it's going to be a fantastic flower pot one day. Right? Yeah. No, one day okay. It looked pretty though. Right. But it's going to brick. They're, yeah. as they call an electric car that won't drive anymore is a brick. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these pinballs are just going to be, bricks yeah so you know I, my recommendation to anybody that's really looking to buy a, a game you know stick with stern it'll work you know parts for when it stops working and it'll have more value when you want to trade it and sell it and get get your next game or you get tired of it you want something new so so joe the other question i have too because pinball right now is at an interesting place because of uh, like you've been saying, the the hard, it's hard to get materials, especially raw material, materials. And stuff like that. I mean, you you can't get foam for for sofas right now. Yeah, you can't get containers. Mm-hmm. You know, containers were three thousand dollars to ship something. If I told you ten thousand dollars for a container, you go, that's outrageous. If you could get a container for ten thousand dollars right now, you'd be a hero. Containers are costing twenty five to thirty thousand dollars a container. Wow. Um. You know, it's really brutal. And some of these things you can't get except from manufacturers overseas today because of OSHA requirements or requirements around plating of things and, you know, you know, air and water and other quality standards. I mean, when I worked at Williams in 1984, we had a plating room. I mean, the biggest rats you've ever seen in the world in that plating room, but <laughs> it was a plating room. You know, they'd stamp their own big parts and plate them. Yeah. So do you think that this is something temporary, though, or do you think this is something that not only all companies are going to have to adjust for, but do you think pinball is going to have to adjust for for the future of pinball? There, there are a variety of things happening right now. Um, petroleum exports are more expensive because we went through a period of time where we didn't use petroleum, right? And then we had the, the, uh, the problem with the Keystone pipeline or, you know, where the colony oil had the cyber attack or Texas shut down for a month because of snow Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, so petroleum based things, you know, which are rubbers and plastics are, are more expensive. Um, there is a dramatic chip shortage, um, for a couple of reasons. A, the factories were shut down because people were sick. One of the larger factories in Malaysia got shut down because they had a water shortage. They couldn't, and they didn't properly prepare to filter, clean, and reuse their water. A couple company, couple did, but one of the larger ones did not. 
And then people became ill with COVID, both in shipping um, product and um, and working at the ports and get things out of the ports. So, I mean, and it's affecting not just pinball, it's affecting, I mean, you're reading about Toyota cutting their production by 40% because they can't get chips or they can't get TFT displays or, um, you know, factory is sick or, you know, COVID, unfortunately, we have not gotten rid of because half of the idiots in the world won't take the vaccine or wash their hands or wear a mask. You know, somehow it became, if we went from public health to political virtue, um, but internationally it's a problem. The other problem that's happened too, and, you know, fortunately I, I was in London last weekend, but you know, the EU is closing down all travel to us citizens again. So where I used to go on a cruise, once or twice a year, I've not been on a cruise. Mm -hmm. I used to fly a million miles a year. I've been on four airplanes this year. Mm. I used to go to Broadway and see shows. I used to go to concerts. Um, I'm not doing any of this. So what's happened now, we are home with um, some of us still working, working from home or whatever with dispo and or PPE money or whatever with disposable income sitting in our houses going, you know, gosh, this couch I've been sitting on for years. I've been working at home for a year. It's not as comfortable or I need, or all the people, if you can think about the hundreds of millions of people that all of a sudden needed a laptop at home because the desktop is still at the desk at, at, at their office, but they need to be working remotely or the television is in high definition, but now we're home. And by the way, we're not going to movie theaters. Um, you know, our habits changed. You know, Gary's business, you know, you would have thought, gosh, maybe because Gary's not selling to the arcade space, that maybe his business would have gone south like it did more for Eugene at um, Raw Thrills where people aren't buying giant Jurassic Park gun games, but you know, a pinball machine you can kind of fit at home or even... You buy one and it's kind of fun. Let's build a wall. Let's have two of them or three of them or four of them. Um, uh, I'm on the board of a company called Arcade One Up. Are you familiar with them? Okay. Yes. We, oh, yes. Uh, however, there's a couple things I, I did want to point out. <laughs> they have some, uh, we were just talking about this earlier because they reached out to us and about their little pinball emulator and they, they talked about coming on and we, we haven't heard, we've reached out a few times. So we oh. would love to, talk to them about the, the emulator and I'm on their board of directors. Yeah. We'd love to, we'd love to talk about it because I was just looking at their site today because I saw some images on Tron and yeah. I saw some images on Simpsons and there's a, there's a few of those that I'd like to get a hold of. Oh, there's some beautiful product coming from them. And they, they built Scott backcrack and his team. They're building some great, great things for your collection. You're going to be awesome. very, very pleased. And, uh, you know, the pinball product's been very successful for them. Well, very we would love, we would love to talk to someone about the pinball product because I, because I, I'm serious. I think there's, yeah, there, uh, my friend who just barely bought a Mandalorian, he's a huge, uh, star Wars fan. And yeah. I just, I, it was his first machine. I helped him get downstairs and I was even telling him, I'm like, actually arcade one up has a, that they have a Star Wars emulator that would be fun and it's reasonably priced and you can throw it next to your Mandalorian. Yep. Be perfect. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good product. 
Yeah. How did you get How did you get associated with Arcade One Up? You know, I met their founder um, at the CS show a couple of years ago, and I was in their booth and I was looking at one of their products, and uh, so one of their sales guys or something came over and, oh, this Joe and Mac game. Have you seen it before? I said, well, I'm the Joe of Joe and Mac. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, no, you're not. So yes, I am. So thanks again. I, I met uh, their founder, uh, Scott Backrack, and uh, we and he and I chatted and continued to chat and started to build a relationship. And you know, there there are not that many guys that have um, a memory or a history of the game business of the past forty years that probably um, you know probably Eugene and a few others do, but you know, that, that can talk reasonably about what was made when and what was successful. And, um, I think with some of my success in the, in the business world, licensing world, game world, um, and you know, maybe my perspective on, um, how to, you know, make a company successful. Um, there are some things that I felt like could add some value to their board and they felt so too. So, um, uh, it, it ended up being a, a good opportunity for both of us. Fantastic. So, yeah. I, I think it's great. Um, there's some, there's some people who talk about it's not the same as having a classic one. And I was actually, there was, was a classic one. I mean, it, I look at a classic Tron and it smells like 30 years of sour beer and, and cigarette smoke. And it's disgusting and it's too big. And this is a really nice product. You described exactly the interaction I had today on the forum because someone posted it and I was going back and forth. And I said, actually, I would prefer the arcade one up because people at home have limited space and there's not much you can do. And you can buy this thing for, I, I think the suggested price is 800 bucks and you can put it, oh, there's one of them right there. Yeah. I can't fit a full size arcade in my lobby. Yep. It might be Chelsea, but you know. I can fit one very nicely right here, and I put it together. It's, they're actually, if you've built one, they're very fun to put together. It's a really nice sense of accomplishment that you can do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I go back and look at the the roadmap of the next 36 months of, you know, really classic arcade games, or, you know, maybe we'll go back and do, a, you know, a, a Robotron that's in the uh, pre-production colors and make a thousand of them. I think what you'll find the arcade one business could evolve a little bit into the collectible space, sort of like a, like a Supreme or a, a sneaker company where we'll come out with some limited edition versions of things that are special or, you know, maybe signed by Eugene Jarvis or George Gomez or some of these other guys. And, you know, who doesn't want a nice clean spy hunter? Oh right? yeah. I don't want a smelly, gummed up, dirty product. Yeah. And if you played the Outrun that they made last year, the Outrun's a great little version of Outrun. Yeah. Actually, Outrun would be great. Yeah. It's good to have a racing game. I have a shooter game. It's good to have a racing game. I saw there was a Terminator coming out. Yeah. George Petro's done, gone back and, and modified the original Terminator gun game. Yeah. You know, we did Big Buck Hunter a year ago and the Terminator game looks great it runs at you know a pretty good frame rate you know it, you know if you've seen the uh touch table we have 
um, that's got, you know, like 50 built-in games and board games and word games. And um, I mean, it, it's what a Surface table should have been. Um, it's one of the best consumer products of, of this year. So I think you'll, uh, I think you'll really like a lot of the things that are coming out. I'm, I'm really pleased. Definitely. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah that's fun. awesome. That... <laughs> it's fun to be, be part of these things still. Yeah. Well, Joe, we're, uh, we're running up on about an hour and we appreciate you on, um, Josh, anything else that you can think of that, uh, a last, last question for Mr. Joe Camico. You know, you've been awesome and you've answered a lot of our questions. I, I feel like there's questions I have, but I, I don't want to ask out of professional courtesy because I'm like, we're always curious of what's coming in the future. Yeah. We... <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> But we don't want to be giving away trade secrets here exactly. either. So there you, no, but it, <laughs> it, we're, we're yep. looking forward to things. Yes. Well, the future's not yet been invented, but I'm sure it'll be a good one, as my yeah. friend Bob Gale always says. Um, yeah. You know, there. I think Gary, you know, continues to um, build great product. Uh, I really have enjoyed uh, a couple of the games I played from Spooky. You know, they're really terrifically nice people up there. I'm really happy for their success and there's room for, for lots of people. And, um, you know, um, it's nice to see people embrace the hobby and, you know, it's kind of fun to watch people soup their game up or go to Toys R Us and buy a Mandalorian and screw it to the top of their game or whatever it is. And, um, uh, fun to see Brian Eddie back making games again. That is fun. Definitely. It's nice, and uh, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see how the other guys that have recently made some changes uh, do and fare in, in a, a new environment. So um, it'll be entertaining to see. I do have actually one final question for you. Mm -hmm. um, are you going to be going to Pinball Expo this year? I don't think so. Okay. Um, you know, I, I I I told Rob, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it, but um, with the with the current um, Delta variant. Um, even though um, I've had my my third vaccine shot, I've had my booster. Um, I think I can probably wait a year. Um, you know, I'll, I may venture to a Raiders game or two, mask. But you know, we are still. My wife and I are still being very careful with our protocols. You know, we still eat outside. Definitely, we still wash our hands um, abundantly. We bring hand sanitizer and wear appropriate mask when we're around groups of people we don't know we don't get together with unvaccinated people um at this point in time because um i know nine people that died from COVID um yeah. of various ages you know from you know 30s to their you know octogenarians so we take it really seriously what has occurred here and yeah. um i think you know right now you know it's it's even hard for me to go to, a, I think I've been into two casinos in a year. Now our casino business is really robust at aristocrat. Um, you know, we're doing, you know, you saw the Nevada numbers for the month of July, the, 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 the gaming take was, I think maybe the highest ever, yeah. but we'll, we'll, I think personally we'll continue. We, we, you know, we participated in the virtual pinball expo last year. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll probably, you know, choose to be a little more cautious until, 
you know, it, it looks like the Delta variant burned itself out in London, but um, we'll see. You yeah. know, I won't say never, but but the likelihood of me making the travel, getting on a plane, going to Chicago, touching a bunch of pinball machines that other people have touched probably isn't in the cards right now. I'll play at home and, and wish Gary well on that one. What I game are you that. playing at home right now? Uh, let's see. At home right now, I have Beatles, Munsters, Stranger Things, um, Avengers, and these are all the LEs, and um, the um, Led Zeppelin. Um, I think my personal favorite right now is, I think, the play field for the LE Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's maybe one of the best play fields I've ever played, ever, ever. Oh, yeah. And it's just the flow, the shots, the upshot, the, you know, it's just a really fun game to play. I mean, I just find I, I lose an hour every time I step in front of it. Um, Led Zeppelin, I've enjoyed with the music. The game is really a tight, for me, it's, it's a bit tight and I feel like I'm always banging post on it. Yeah. So that's not no, my I, favorite. I, um, I have one and that uh, upper flipper shot is really hard. Yeah. I mean, it's just, but I just feel like I'm just always busting post and the ball's always in my face. But I've, I mean, I've had fun. I mean, it's a hard game to play. I mean, I love playing my Beatles game. Um, Munsters is really fun, though maybe a little too much Paul Lynn speech for me. I've always bitched about that. And um, I really enjoyed Stranger Things. Um, yeah. People that come to the house and then have the thing fold down and you, the little projector and everything. I mean, it's a really pretty game. I, I think the game. Um, doesn't get the uh, the credit it deserves, and I, I just took it, the it's grown though. It's it's actually become very popular. I I tell people about it because I think it's a great thing, and I tell them definitely get the black uh, the black light mod. Yep, yep. It's a really fun game, and um, and then I just took delivery of a Mandalorian, but it's not out of the box yet. Oh, so. We'll, we'll come help you. And I think I, yeah. I may have I may have ordered an Ultraman just because I thought it's such a wacky theme. So it's yeah. it, that that is a total wacky theme. I had never heard of it before. So yeah. Well, we've both been vaccinated, so we'd be more than happy to yeah. come help you set up. <laughs> and 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 I work at a hospital, so I know how to uh, mask up. So yeah, you know, it's I you know I think I'm, I I pray for our our country right now and hope we can steer through it. I mean, I I just find it kind of mind blowing that people will readily put horse deworming medicine in their mouth but won't take the vaccine so i i i it kind of astounds me to be honest with you the um yeah i i don't the, get it either you know okay but you know i you know you could keep reading about these conservative talk show guys that keep dying um and keep going like you know uh what are you all thinking but that's yeah. you know we'll, we'll stick with pinball tonight but yep. any other questions or anything guys well, uh, we want to tell you to stick around a little bit because the uh, the video is recording on your end and it will upload. So when we stop, just stick around a little bit and we'll make sure we get that. And we definitely want to send you a big box of that. So we'll find out exactly where you want us to send that. Okay. And we'll make sure that uh, you're all hooked up with your loser kid gear. Okay. Well, thanks for supporting Pinball and talking about it. And, you know, the enthusiasts, hey, guys that are out there that play games i don't care if they're old games new games you know i hope you get a chance to come out and see the 
the facility that got built in Vegas. It looks really nice on the strip. It's very iconic. And there's pinball, big and bright. I give Tim credit for that, though, you know, um, needs a couple newer games in his place. Um, uh, but, you know, at least it's good to see, you know, people like pinball still. And, yeah. um, and you know, it's, you know, there are very much more to do these days. So enjoy it. Definitely. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, we are Loser Kid Pinball Podcast at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch, all at Loser Kid Pinball. Uh, before we wrap this up, though, we got to hurry and announce our winner from doing the Pin Quest Challenge. If you remember, you could set a high score either on World Cup Soccer or on Avengers. And uh, we had over 85 participants to that. And they said that there was 11 completions on World Cup and 13 on Avengers. So about 10%. <laughs> well, no, sorry. That's about 20%. Um, we want to congratulate Clint Reeves. Yeah, Clint. So congratulations. We'll be sending you a hat soon. And uh, we want to thank again Joe for being on. Scott, what else you got sure. for us before we leave? Uh, I, I think it's great. Uh, uh, stay safe. And I want everybody to uh, get out there when you're comfortable to play pinball. If you do, mask up and definitely uh, use the hand sanitizer. Uh, we can all get through this uh, with our mental health in check as long as we are taking safe precautions. And even if that if that's playing at home, that uh, it certainly keeps the keeps the juice running. And I'm going to end it on this. Zach, many you're wrong about Star Wars and about Goonies. Absolutely. And what see about in two Goonies? Weeks. Oh, he says it's a good theme, and I say it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and sit down.